You don't need me to tell you that in the past few years particularly, there is all kind of debate on whether Jesus himself would have been green. As to the views of Jesus on ecology and the response to global warming, to the gradual destruction of rainforests, the disappearance of species and so on. And they're interesting questions. Would Jesus have driven, for example, a car like this? Anybody know what that is? Petrol heads, what make of car is that, would you know? Yes, well done. It's a Volkswagen Scirocco that runs only on coffee. Doesn't belong to Jonathan Lomax, I don't think. And those of you who like wordplay might like to know they call it the Carpuccino. So would Jesus have driven a car that runs on coffee or oil or olive oil or anything else? I don't know. There used to be bracelets that had WWJD. Remember them? Some probably still have them. I think they might even still be be in production. I don't know. What would Jesus do? The trouble with those is that people wear those and then they tell you what they would do. They tell you what they would do and they ascribe it to Jesus. Jesus would do this because I believe he would do this, because I would like to do this. I had to make a difficult decision at one call many, many years ago, and this dear old boy came up to me and he wagged a finger in my face and he says, Captain, I want you to know that if William Booth were here today, he'd be turning in his grave. Apart from the metaphysical questions that one raises, what he's saying is, I don't like what you've decided, and therefore William Booth wouldn't like what you've decided. So if we're going to look at what Jesus would do, then we have to see what Jesus did, firstly. And we have to see what scripture says about Jesus uh, and how it points to his thinking and his attitude. It's incredible to me that although the Middle Eastern world of 2,000 years ago had no knowledge of the eco-terminology that we use today, still the interaction of Jesus and the creation in his time can speak to our own participation in a world of melting ice caps and increasing tides and temperatures. We can wonderfully receive inner direction from the creation perspective of Jesus. So our key verse is coming up. It's from Colossians 1, uh, and uh, it's in yellow, which means we will all read it together. If you can see it, please read it. Let's read together. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things were created, and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, or principalities or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him. The academic Catholic father Ron Rollheiser says, Christ was already a vital force inside the original creation. All things were made through him. And that Christ is also the end point of all history, human and cosmic. So because of this divine connection, Christ's oneness with creation in his human and earthly living 
had to surely be inevitable. So our first thought is this, that the gospel suggests that Jesus' own spiritual life was nurtured through an intimate relationship with creation. Now this is the easy bit. This is the practical teaching this morning. This, this first bit is, is straightforward, uh, simple thinking. On a geographical level, we know that so much of Jesus' teaching occurs on mountains, by the sea or in the fields. And these naturally and beautiful creations and settings of God became perfect settings for Jesus to show us how to live. The paradox is that today we live in a world where we are rightly and acutely aware of environmental failings and pictures of environmental disasters, so it can seem a far cry from what God created, from the perfect picture of the Garden of Eden that Genesis gives us, or the archetypal view of Jesus considering the lilies of the fields as he stands in the field. So the fact is that Jesus thought about and meditated on the plants and creatures of the earth. It was a key way through which he received. And then he taught the memorable pictures and visions that supported his teaching, especially about kingdom growth, about harvest giving, and about the spiritual harvest to come. Notice that it was during his time in the desert that Jesus came to accept and appreciate the messianic ministry that God was giving him. And in order to be fully open and receptive to this, Jesus said, I'm not going to have human company around me at this time. I'm not going to be around people. I'm going to be alone with creation. So he spent time in the natural world where he could fix his being on God only. Sometimes, for you and me today, enlightenment comes in the darkest places. Sometimes enlightenment comes when we, goes in, when we go into those environments that are solitary. And you give yourself space, sometimes in the wilderness, and it hurts. But there's, there's a word that comes, as we were speaking about the presence of God two or three weeks ago. And you hear this voice, and you hear this word, and you hear this direction. And you say, because of this setting, that must be God. Because it is so very different and it is so very poignant. And in the speed and noise of this century, we need to find time to be quiet. We need to find time to contemplate, hear God in prayer. Now you might say, oh yes, Richard, but you should live in my house with my situation. With our home and our work pressures. With our kids who want to be astronauts and doctors and clowns. And the other personal stuff that I'm dealing with, it's just so difficult. And you're right. And another problem is that the church and the Salvation Army has been guilty of fitting God into its own timetable. God is so much bigger than a church timetable. And lots of ministers and officers need to learn that as well. I pray that we won't be found guilty of that, any of us here. But life is like that for so many. But it's a great discipline And this is the simple thing to learn. At some point in your week, to try and adopt a Christian discipline of setting aside time to take in how God's creation speaks to your inner being, your mind, your heart, your soul. There is so much for us. But we perhaps don't stop enough to contemplate what we can receive, even here in the city. Particularly in our last appointment, Carolyn and I did a lot of traveling. Every Sunday we would get in the car and we would travel to all parts of of the city of London. 
And sometimes we would go a little bit further. And certainly in the appointment before that, we would travel a lot into the countryside. And on the journey, we've closed our eyes and prayed. Sorry, whoever's not driving has closed their eyes and prayed. I did try it once. It wasn't a good idea. But we've just sort of taken time to close our eyes and to pray. Stop in a lay-by. Or sometimes to pray with our eyes open. And that's a beautiful thing to do. To take in the majesty of God's creation. Why? Because it's how Jesus lived. Close to creation. It's what Jesus taught. And one night when it's dark and the phones stop ringing and tease over, as we are now in autumn and we're beginning to feel the chill, if you can, get a coat on and pop outside, alone or with a loved one. Look up at the black sky and see the stars. Maybe even better, see the lit moon. And pray with your eyes open. But maybe also take a couple of verses of scripture with you. Psalm 147 Verse 4, he determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. He determines the number of stars and calls them each by name. The creator. But the verse before it, this is where we have father like he tends and spares us. Because verse 3 says, he heals the brokenhearted, binds up their wounds. That's a Christ of creation principle. You see the big stuff, and then you remember, on the other hand, that father-like, he tends and spares me. So get consciously related to the creation around you. Colossians talks about the visible things. But now we go a bit further, that's the simple stuff, and now we go a bit further into it. Because Jesus lived within the context of the Jewish scriptures, which not only have covenants between God and his chosen people, but also a wider cosmic kind of creation covenant. So Jesus lived a covenant life. Brings us to obedience. God's promised us his provident and perfect care, therefore we covenant with him. Genesis says we are here to dress and to keep creation. Isn't that beautiful? We're here to dress and to keep the creation, not to control it. We're stewards. We balance development and preservation. And this is summed up in the covenant that was made with Noah. A covenant symbolized by the elemental creativity of the the rainbow. If you're obedient, says God, nothing like this is ever going to happen. You won't be flooded out again. Well, I don't know about you, and I don't mind being obedient to the perfect wisdom and will of God. I don't mind that. I don't mind giving myself in a promise to someone I love and trust implicitly. But on the flip side, I have great reservations in giving my life and the essence of myself, that is who I am, to someone who would try and control and abuse my trust of them. It goes back to the kids' story we heard this morning. Last week we heard that our dominion is one of utmost responsibility to respect and treat creation with grace and with love. Ecology is about wholeness. Jesus is about wholeness. Ecology is about the mutual well-being one to another. Jesus is about well-being one to another amongst so much other stuff. It is not about control for control's sake. But it applies to our relationship with creation. It applies to our relationships together. It applies to our personal relationships with Jesus. Colossians talks of thrones and dominions. 
which are invisible, principalities and powers which you cannot see, but which hide in people's agendas. And I can tell you, having done this now for 35 years as an officer, you could spot an agenda a mile away. There are people who build their own personal thrones and rule people in their personal kingdoms, in their personal worlds, in their little principalities that they make. And maybe some of us have been a victim of that, I don't know. But it's a delusion which ignores the principle of participation in and participation with creation. Never be a doormat for someone to walk on. You have Christ. You have creation. Isn't that incredible? And when you give time by committing to the integrity of creation, creation will bless you because creation and God the great creator is the first covenanter, the one who promises. One of the deepest lessons we find and we learn is that God promised first. So where he is the other covenanter, then we do not have to fear. It is his kingdom. I will therefore love his creation I will therefore care for his creation because that's what his son did the Bible assures us that God will provide for our legitimate needs and Jesus preached it no need to accumulate more and more materially when God has the essence of who I am in his heart amen thirdly and finally Jesus Christ comes as the one who opens the door to the new creation and says, Behold, I make all things new. He comes to refresh, to restore, and to redeem his whole creation. That's a running theme through these weeks. We see it particularly in the vision at the end of the book of Revelation, where we read of a new heaven and a new earth. As his Holy Spirit transforms us, so we have the deepest resources to effect change and to bring hope to a suffering world. We cannot doubt that there will come a new heaven and a new earth, or more correctly translated, a renewed heaven and a renewed earth. So for our lives personally, for you and me right where we are, that which was polluted, that which was threatened, that which is maybe decaying, that which is infected can be healed and cleansed and restored again. We're going to look at this much more next week as we think of harvest and the link of harvest and sacrifice. It's going to be a wonderful Sunday. Please come along. But this is the human story. It's the story of human history. It's the story of the nation of Israel and it's possibly your personal story and possibly mine too. Jesus lived it out practically through his prayer life, through his teaching and through his miracles. All of those were elements which restored. If as Colossians says, Christ is before all things and in him all things are united, then we are given his blessing. To join him in the resurrection life. And that can happen as we build the kingdom together from now. The biblical story of humankind begins in the Garden of Eden. With humans rejecting the tree of life. It closes with God's immortal family dwelling together before his throne. While enjoying the fruits 
of the tree of life. What a turnaround. What a God. And it's all about creation. A tree can begin with one seed. Who knows, it might be that there is something around the corner in your life just about to spark existence, a new opportunity, a new direction. And we'll look more at that next week. So if you remember nothing else about this morning, take a look at that. We have received creation. We are to respect creation. We are ourselves redeemed new creation. So we pray and we go to a tree, a tree on a hill, an empty tree, a tree where death was defeated once and for all. A Jesuit priest called Jean-Pierre de Cossard said, there is no peace more wonderful than the peace we enjoy when faith shows us God in all created things. When faith shows us God in all created things.